Hello, and welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Do you see yourself as an emotional person? Do you sometimes hear that you shouldn't be so emotional? Have you heard some Christians say that those charismatic people are so emotional? Who hasn't heard sermons where the truth of God is contrasted with our emotions? How did it happen that our emotions became negative or bad? Doesn't God have emotions? Isn't there joy in heaven when someone comes to Christ? Pastor Todd brings healing to our hearts and freedom to walk as complete people with emotions. Are you ready to get into it? Be sure to listen to the end for some important information. Uh, I titled the message, Emotional God. And basically what I want to talk about today is our emotions and our role of emotions in serving God. It's kind of a unique uh, subject because quite honestly, um, uh, we hear things like, hey, don't let your emotions get the best of you. We, we hear things like uh, in a fight, we would say, well, don't get so emotional about it. Uh, sometimes uh, we would say, hey, those charismatic people, they just get all wrapped up in emotions. Anybody ever heard that one? Two of you? Okay, good, good. If you want to hear a sermon about emotions, go to YouTube and just type in emotions and sermon. These are the titles you'll see. Overcoming your emotions. Don't let emotions rule over you. Discipline over your emotions. Keep your emotions in control. And this was my favorite one. These are actual titles when I searched. The truth of God versus our emotions. Every one of them was negative about our emotions. It was always about keeping them in control and keeping them under wraps and, and making sure we ruled over them. I'm just not sure when our emotions and God became a contest. Now, I don't know about that, but it, it, we talk and we take on this attitude that for some reason our emotions are bad. And I'm trying to figure out where that came from. Where did it come from that emotions are a negative thing, a bad thing, a things that need to be controlled? And I finally found the scripture that did it. It's in Genesis chapter 2, 26. It says this, after God had made the man and woman, he rested on the seventh day and behold, on the eighth day, Satan came and gave the man emotions in order to prepare him for sin. The ones of you who are laughing know that there is no verse 26 in chapter 2 of Genesis. I made that up. It doesn't exist. Uh, but I think oftentimes we look at it like that, that God made us and the relationship was good and all, and then Satan came in and gave us all these emotions that get us messed up and, and, and just uh, foul everything up for us in our relationship with God. Listen, God himself has and uses his emotions. If we go to that uh, scripture in Exodus 34, 6, where God is describing himself to Moses in the cleft of the rock, he says, God is slow to anger. He doesn't say God doesn't get angry. He said God is slow to get there. He has that emotion of anger, but he is slow to get to it because he's contemplated about it, because he wants to. Do you know that over 50 times in our Bible, over 50 times, times God says, I got angry about something. Over 50 times he gets angry when people turn away from him. He gets angry when the nations become idolatrous. Uh, and yet in Ephesians 4, we have a instruction to get angry. Watch this, Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. 
don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil opportunity. First of all, what that says is be angry. This is God instructing us, be angry. Angry is not the problem. Be angry. Now, don't sin in your anger, but be anger. Uh, it's okay to get angry according to this scripture when the sun is out, but it's not okay to be angry when the sun goes down. <laughs> Has that ever confused any of you? Why is it that it's okay for me to be in a fight with my wife during the day, but I got to settle it before I go to bed? It's like, it's okay to be angry with her during the day, but I can't be angry with her at night because something about the sun going down and coming back up, it, it, you know, I got 12 hours, 12 hours of angry time with, and that's it. And then I got to get it resolved. I mean, every time I hear this preached, it's, hey, if you're in a fight with someone, make sure and get that thing resolved before you go to bed. I even had a man one time tell me, a man in the faith, tell me if I went to bed still angry and I died during my sleep, I would go to hell. And I'm looking at him saying, how out of context can you get? With this scripture, think about this. Why would God tell you it's okay to be angry? Here's the only way I know when it's okay to be angry. When I'm angry at the same things God gets angry at. If God can get angry at it, then he's telling me you can be angry too. So he says, be angry. But watch this. What, what does God get angry at? He gets angry at the enemy. He gets angry at what the enemy does in people's lives. He gets angry at what the enemy does to you. So look at this verse this way. When it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he's not saying, don't let the sun go down while you're still mad. What he's saying is, don't ever let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, stay angry at the enemy. Reread this verse and listen to what it says. It says, be angry. Now, don't sin while you're angry, but don't ever let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil an opportunity. Do you see what he just said? Always be angry at the enemy. Always. Don't let your sun go down on the anger against the enemy because he gets an opportunity if you put your guard down. Don't put your guard down against the enemy. Now, listen, husbands, it's really good to resolve that problem before you go to bed. But I really think what this scripture is teaching us is don't ever let the anger against the enemy go down. Don't ever let the sun go down on that anger. You just keep that anger up against the enemy because if you let it down, you're giving him an opportunity. Mm. It's another emotion of God. In Psalm 78, 40, it says, how often they rebelled against him, God, in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. I don't think it's difficult at all for most of us to think about an angry God. We've been taught so much about his vengeance. We hear the plagues. We hear the punishments that gets doled out. We hear these things, and we can easily accept that God could get angry, and God could express some wrath. But here God is grieving over them. God is sitting back and saying, this is not what I want for you. It saddens me that you would turn and look that way. This is God. Jesus showed emotions. Uh, you, typically, the one we talk about is Jesus wept, but I'm not going to even bring that up. I want you to look in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. This is a situation with Jesus. It said, he again entered into a synagogue, and there was a man whose hand was withered, and they were watching him, meaning the Pharisees, to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, talking to the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill it? In other words, I just called this man forward. You know what I'm about to do. 
So I'm going to ask you this question boldly and publicly. On the Sabbath, should we be doing good stuff or bad stuff? Just answer that question. They're stuck. It says, they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger. Why is he angry? He's angry because the man is standing there with the withered hand and they care more about the Sabbath rule than they do the man with the withered hand. And he's saying, this is not who I was teaching you to be. This is not the example I gave. This is not a rule book. This is compassion. This is love. This man has a withered hand. Who cares if it's the Sabbath? Let's do something about his hand. Grieved at the hardness of their heart. How can you think this way? You have a God who loved you so much, he created you, he gave you earth, he poured it out, he sent me to die for you, and you don't care about people. So he said to the man, stretch out your hand, he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. It's an awesome story. Awesome story. In Luke 10, in Luke 10, there's a story of when the 70 went out, and they came back and they said, Jesus, this is crazy. Even the demons are listening to us while we're out and about and while we're working in your ministry. Look what he says in uh, 1017. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I was watching when Satan fell like heaven, uh, from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the powers of the enemy and nothing will injure you. We could preach there all day. Nonetheless, do not rejoice in this, that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now he told them, be happy about the fact that your name's in heaven, not so much about the demons. But look at the next sentence. At that very time, he, this is Jesus, rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said while he was rejoicing greatly. I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and you've revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, do uh, for this way was pleasing in your sight. Now, I just want to ask you, what was Jesus' emotional response to that? the fact that they were seeing the demons respond to them? It said he rejoiced greatly. My guess is he said, God, that's awesome. <laughs> that's not greatly. It says Jesus rejoiced greatly when he said that. This is so awesome, Dad. Look at the way they're catching on to this. They're simple. They don't even know what the whole ramifications of what they're doing are. But you know what? They can command them and they leave and you, you gave it to them. You didn't give it to them. Mm. He rejoiced great. Jesus is expressing emotion of joy here. He's saying, this is just an awesome moment. The Holy Spirit has emotion. The Holy Spirit has emotion. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me he's my comforter. How can he comfort me if he doesn't go to the emotional level? I want you to think about this. Your child has a pet and the pet dies. And the Holy Spirit comes to comfort your child. So this is how he does it. He sits in front of your child and says, pets have a lifespan. The lifespan of your pet was over. Uh, you'll be okay. You'll move on. Uh, Bob's not real clear. Don't know if your pet will be in heaven or not because he doesn't have a spirit. But you're okay. Let's go forward. Is there any comfort in that at all? No, because that's not how the Holy Spirit deals with you and me. He says, I know you're hurting. 
I know that comment. I know that situation. I know what just happened with your spouse has just pierced you and you feel it physically and you're emotionally ready to just bust and weep, but I'm here for you. I'm just going to hold you for a moment. I'm just going to reassure you that God loves you and this is going to work out because I'm here for you. And there's an emotion that gets expressed, this love, this kindness, this tenderness. It's called comfort. We have emotion. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. And God has emotions, so we have emotion. And sometimes we come together under this Father and under this God in a, in a situation like a Sunday morning, and it's very hard to tell we have emotion. I grew up in a church uh, where a, a visitor came in one day, and while we were singing a song, we were all standing there like this. And this person shouted out, praise the Lord. And an elder went around to him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. Thank you. We do that here. We do that here. <laughs> Here's what I mean. If you go biblically, if you go biblically, joy is talked about 211 times in Scripture. Rejoicing is talked about 191 times in Scripture. Shouting out for God. Listen to me. Shouting out for God 116 times. We are told to be a people of joy. We're told to be a people who shout. We're told to be a people who get righteously angry. We're told to be people who, uh-oh, here we go, dance. Second Samuel 6.14, probably the most, uh, most talked about dance passage in the entire scripture, okay? David. David, listen, this is what David was happy about. David was happy that he was the king at the time that the Ark of the Covenant got taken back from the Philistines and given back to the kingdom. He was just excited that it was during my time that God brought that Ark back into our midst. And so it says he danced, but I want you to see how he danced in 14, 614. And David was dancing, what's the next three words? Before the Lord, now let me ask you, in this cataclysmic moment in history where the very Ark of the Covenant that represents the mercy seat that God said would be in the Holy of Holies where I am is before the people and David is standing in front of it and he's dancing before the Lord, do you think God is saying, what are you doing, Dave? What are you doing, Dave? Dance before the Lord, but watch how he did it. With all his might. Listen, every word in our scripture is there for a reason. That all his might is there for a reason. The reason is to show us how into it he was. He was all in. He was dancing with all of his might before the Lord. And he was wearing a linen ephod, which is for us would be like a slip. It's the undergarment to your clothing. So David and all of the house of Israel, they're bringing the ark of the Lord with what? So it's not a one-man party. David is dancing before the Lord, and everybody else is shouting, we got it back. We got it back. We got the presence, this place where we met with God. It's coming back into our midst. This is a party going on. They're rejoicing people. There was another time when they had a party like that. It was back in Exodus in chapter 15. Here's what happens. They get delivered out of their bondage in Egypt, and they cross the, the, uh, the, the whatever you call that, the, the, 
they're going to the Red Sea, and the Pharaoh's army has come up against them, and they're stuck, and they don't know what to do. And God says, just stand and hold that staff out. And when he does, the waters part and they walk across the sea. Now they're on the other side of the sea and they see the enemy who's coming after them get into the sea and they see the walls collapse on them and drown them. Listen to me. You may be set free from your bondage, but you're not completely free until the enemy is destroyed. And at this moment, the enemy was destroyed and here was their response. Moses' sister does something. 20, Miriam the pro- Aaron's sister. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all of the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. They threw a party because God had done something miraculous in their midst. What would we be like here if we threw a party when God did something miraculous in our midst? I think it shows appreciation. I think it shows thankfulness to our God. Ecclesiastes 3, you all know it. There is a time to weep. Wow, there's a time to just release that burden inside of you and weep. It doesn't say a time to cry. It doesn't say a time to bawl in a fit. It says there's a time to Weep. We know what weeping is. It's when it's just being all poured out of you. There's a time to weep. But guess what? In God, before God, there is a time to laugh. There's a time to just... uh, (laughs) I believe there's a lot of people that don't understand the joy of the Lord. This is awesome. I can sing for three hours with no cough, but when I start speaking to God. Okay. Have you ever noticed that when you hear a little baby, let's say six months or under, all out belly laugh, what do you do? Why? Why? Why do I laugh when I see that, you know, the popular one right now is they tear that little piece of paper in front of the baby. And the baby's just, why am I laughing at that? It wasn't funny to me. It's because there's a joy that's been put inside of me that is innocent, that is pure, that is real. And I know that baby's expressing that joy that's in me. So when I see that joy getting expressed, it rises up in me, the joy that's in me too. And I laugh too. Love that, love that, love that. There is a time to mourn. There's so many things we can mourn over besides someone's death. I can mourn over my own sin. I can mourn over the lostness of my neighbor. There are times when I need before God saying, this has to change. This is hard. This is dark. I want to move past this. I want to remember it, but I want to move past it. And then it says, there's a time to dance. Now, I just want to stay biblical with you. I'm not limiting you by this. But in the Bible, when God did something amazing, they danced. I'm seeing God doing something amazing all the time. Yesterday, three people at the mall came to Christ. Last week in this room here, people got healed. Listen, I'm made in the image of God, and God has emotion. God is a God that has and uses 
his emotions. Therefore, I'm not afraid of my emotions. Emotions are a part of our worship of God, and emotions can be bad. They can be negative, but listen to me. They can be good. They can be good. And sometimes we live in such fear of the negative, we don't use them for the positive because we're afraid we'll be told we're out of control. We're afraid we'll be told we're a little crazy, maybe too happy. Look at it this way. God arranges for you to be given, given a brand new home. I'm I'm talking here on this earth. God arranges it to where somebody says, we have decided to give you this house. It's paid for, completely paid for. This thing is beautiful. It sits on the ocean with a beach in front of it. This thing has five bedrooms and five bathrooms. It's 4,000 square feet. And it also has a pool in case you don't want to get in the ocean. It is gorgeous. It is yours and it is gifted to you. Let me ask you something. What is your response to the person who gave it to you? Thank you so much. I'll be enjoying this house every day. I thank you for being so generous to me. This was awesome. Can I have the keys? We don't respond that way. We don't respond that way, and yet God tells us he's preparing a room for us in heaven that he's giving to us. He gives us health. He gives us prosperity. He gives us, oh my goodness. I'm sitting back wondering if God is saying, what's wrong with you people? I'm doing amazing things in your midst and you're afraid to have any joy about it because you think you'll be irreverent. Mm, Stay with me. I think the father wants to see his children excited and happy. How many of you don't want your little baby to belly laugh? Man, it's like a milestone marker, right? They finally laughed. We write it down in the little book. We want to see our children when we give them Christmas presents, not open up and say, thank you, Father, very nice gift. We want to see them jump up and down and cry and say, I never thought you'd actually give this to me. This is awesome. This is great. It's amazing. I love it. I think God wants to see his children that way. But some of us were raised in a church that said emotions are irreverent unless they're solemn. Hear me out on this. Why do we decide that God always needs us quiet and still when he tells us to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. I think some of us were raised in a church that said emotions show that you're in the flesh. When I'm dancing with my wife, I'm dancing with my wife. I'm not trying to show the other people on the dance floor that I can dance. I'm dancing with my wife because of the joy that she is to me. Uh, Okay. Some of us were raised that said it was in the flesh. And so we looked at this charismatic group and we labeled them. Oh, if they start getting too happy, if they start getting out of their seats, if they start shouting too much, it's in the flesh. You know how I know it's in the flesh? Because if you're not in the flesh, you're quiet and you're reverent. You're still. Because God said, shout for joy unto the Lord but I'm getting irreverent if I get too engaged in this. I mean, God wants us to be in fear of him, right? Because every father wants their children stoic and in fear of them. That's sarcastic, by the way. (laughs) I want my kids to be happy. I want to see them laugh. I want to see them prosper. I want to see them enjoy their life. And are there times when I want them to come back to me and say, Dad, 
You set me up for this, man. You gave this. You provided. You took care of me for so long. You taught me. You got me ready to face the world. And I so appreciate you for that. And I'm going to look at him and say, thank you. Now go enjoy it. Just go have a good time. Some of us were raised in a church where dignity, listen to me, dignity is more important than joy. I can't let other people see my relationship with God. They'll think I'm charismatic. I have to hide how I feel in public because I need to be reverent before God. Some of us are raised in the church that don't know what heaven looks like. Because some of you actually believe you're going to spend eternity on your knees singing songs at a throne. And God is worthy of that for the rest of my eternity. But I don't think that's what he set up because I heard something about a feast. I heard something about a big dinner. I heard something about a wedding. I heard something about those who are responsible over little be responsible over much. I heard there's actually going to be a life that's not reverent bowing and worshiping because I don't think God needs my reverent bowing and worshiping for eternity, even though he could have it because I'd give it. In Luke 15, 10, this is what it says about heaven. In the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. You've heard me say that over and over and over in this church. Is there a party going on in heaven because one person repented? The Bible says that happens, that they're rejoicing over the fact that a new child has come into the kingdom of God. Revelation 19, 6 says this. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying this, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Now look at this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Not us become reverent and give him glory, but let's rejoice and be glad because that gives him glory. And he looks at us as reverent, and then that's good. But when he looks at us rejoicing and glad, that's good too. First yes. mm. Chronicles 16, 31. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Listen, I'm not disrespecting reverency. I'm not saying that you have to be openly moving to show any emotions. For many, there's a real intensity in the quietness. There are times when I have to be still before God. There are times in order to hear, I have to be still. There are times when I'm on my knees. There are times when the most intimate I can get with God is when I shut up and just say, talk to me, God. Talk to me, Dad. I love you. You've been great to me. I want to be near you. I don't disrespect that at all. I think that is totally there. But let me ask you, how many times are we being quiet out of tradition? How many times are we refusing to rejoice because it might interfere with our dignity? In other words, the person beside me might think I'm a little out there. What if we were okay with our emotions? What if we got grieved when others did not trust in God? What if we were angry when Satan brought sickness to a friend? What if we got excited and shouted when God gave us a victory in our life? What if we cried when we came into the recognition of our own sin? 
What if we danced when we were thanking God for things he had done for us? What if we shouted when God delivered somebody? What if we were not trying to make sure that nobody in the room gets too happy? I think we need to own our emotions. That doesn't mean stifling our emotions. It means owning them. It means allowing them to be used appropriately because my emotions don't own me. I own my emotions. And you can have emotions without expressing them, but the question is, what is the motive behind you not expressing them? Is it because you think God wants you to be reverent? Because he thinks it would be irreverent if you rejoiced, if you had joy, if you had fun, if you laughed? I think the best way I know to try to deal with this from a God-to-me perspective is to begin dealing with it from a father-to-my-child perspective. I don't want my child reverent all the time. I appreciate those times when they are. But I raised them to have joy. I raised them to be blessed. I raised them to have joy in the kingdom that I helped provide for them. And I think God looks at us the same way and says, I know you're happy on the inside. It's okay to show it on the outside. Mm. Why am I bringing this up? Not to get you more expressive in our worship times, but maybe to ask you to question why you're not. I'm not judging. I'm not measuring. What I'm wanting is a release of freedom, of joy in the house. A release of freedom to rejoice in God. I think there are emotions that God does not want us to dwell in. God does not want us to dwell in fear. We've been talking about this morning. God does not want us to be in depression. God does not want us to be in a place of bitterness. God does not want us to be in a place of worry. The Bible is very clear that these are things that should not be a part of who we are. But here are the things the Bible says we should have. We should be a people who have joy. We should be a people who have peace. We should be a people who repent. We should be a people who have a godly sorrow because it's that godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. We should be people who have a godly anger. We should be people who are courageous because he calls us to be courageous. And we should be a people who are reverent. And there's so many more, but here's what I'm saying. I'm emotional about my God and I'm unashamed about it. And so I cry when I worship and I smile and I laugh with God on a regular basis and I dance, typically when you're not looking. <sighs> what would it be like if your children were always solemn in your presence? What would it say about you raising them? Would it say that they fear you and they have such reverence they're afraid to move they're afraid to laugh they're afraid to have fun what would it be like if you gave them gifts and they sat quietly and politely thanked you and said you've taught me well I'm very respectful right now all I'm saying is I think God sometimes just wants to see us dance wants to see us laugh wants to see us have joy wants to see us rejoice wants to see us shout out well what did you think has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. Now for some very exciting news. Pastor Todd's latest book has just been released. It's called Missing Pieces. 
Have you ever asked yourself, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, why do I still do the things I don't want to do? Pastor Todd addresses this and many more important questions that most of us have pondered for years. Pastor Todd fills in the missing pieces that we have wondered about, and when those pieces are understood and put in place, the bigger picture becomes more clear. This new book is available now on Amazon. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue in Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.